In this episode of Flying Smarter, I'm talking about why some airplane window shades retract downwards instead of upwards. Afterwards, we're going to look at who's actually operating your flight, how to find out, and how it affects you. Welcome to episode 17 of Flying Smarter, the podcast that explores the fascinating world of air travel. For today's episode, we're going to start off by looking at quote-unquote upside-down airplane window shades, and then for the main segment, I'm going to talk about how your flight may not be operated by the airline that sold you the ticket, by exploring different types of airline partnerships, and why it all matters to travelers like you. Why do some airplane window shades retract downwards instead of upwards? You may have seen that there are some airplane windows where the window shade retracts downwards, meaning that you pull the window shade upwards to close it instead of the much more common way of pulling the shade down to close it. These quote-unquote upside-down window shades are generally found in overwing exit rows. Now, there's a myth out there that these window shades retract downwards so that in the event of a rough landing or some sort of emergency, the window shades don't jiggle and fall downwards, but the actual reason is even simpler than that. The reason that these window shades retract downwards instead of upwards is that these windows tend to be situated on an exit door that has a handle above the window that releases the emergency exit from the plane. Because there's a handle there, there simply isn't room above the window for a window shade, and so the window shade lives below the window instead of above it when it's retracted. So next time you see one of these window shades, just look above the window and you'll most likely see a fairly obvious reason why the window shade goes down instead of up. Do you have a question about air travel? If you want your question to be featured on the Flying Smarter podcast, please get in touch with us. Submit your question as an audio recording or in writing at flyingsmarter.com forward slash contact or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Flying Smarter or on Twitter at Flying underscore Smarter. In today's complicated world of air travel, it's very common that you book an itinerary with one airline and the flights are actually operated by one or more other airlines. You can book a flight on the American Airlines website, but it ends up being operated by British Airways or Japan Airlines. Or you can book a trip with Qantas from Australia to Taiwan and have some of the flights operated by China Airlines. Many of us have gotten accustomed to this, but it sometimes leads to confusion. A passenger could buy a ticket on the Delta Airlines website and then turn up to the airport and not see any Delta Airlines check-in counters. And even if you're used to it, perhaps you've wondered what's behind all this. In this main segment, I want to talk about different types of airline partnerships and how they affect your flight, how to tell who is actually operating your flight, and why it all matters. The reason that you can book an air travel itinerary with one airline and end up on another airline comes down to airline partnerships. There's so many different types of airline partnerships and they've gotten increasingly complicated over the years, so there's a lot of nuance, but they can largely be categorized into four different categories, which I want to go over. I'll go through them from lowest to highest levels of cooperation, and then I'll talk about a fifth very different type of airline partnership. 
Perhaps the most basic type of airline partnership is an interline agreement. These are basically agreements that allow passengers to book a single itinerary on multiple airlines. This also allows airlines to handle passengers when they are traveling on multiple airlines. For example, if you're flying on connecting flights with two different airlines with an interline agreement, you can generally check in for both flights with the first airline and check your bags all the way through to the final destination rather than having to pick them up and drop them off again at your connecting airport. Interline agreements can also allow airlines to rebook passengers on other airlines in the event of flight delays or cancellations. Interline agreements are a fairly basic level of cooperation in the airline world, which means that there are a lot of them. If you look on an airline's partners page on their website, chances are that the airline actually has a lot more than what they have listed there, and that most of the ones that aren't listed are interline agreements. There's actually a lot of cases where there are interline agreements between airlines that are direct competitors or are generally not friends with each other. For example, American Airlines and United Airlines have an interline agreement. Quite notably, the interline agreement between American Airlines and Delta Airlines was actually cancelled in 2015 due to a dispute over how much American had to pay Delta when passengers got rebooked. In 2018 though, American and Delta restarted their interline agreement but it only covers irregular operations. This means that it doesn't allow passengers to book itineraries that include the two airlines, but it does allow each airline to book passengers on the other in the event of flight delays or cancellations. As you can see, interline agreements aren't particularly strong levels of cooperation, and mostly allow for simple things like issuing boarding passes for the airlines, checking bags through an entire itinerary, rebooking on other airlines during flight disruptions, or some combination of these things. One step up from an interline agreement is a co-chair agreement. Co-chairing became popular after the deregulation of the airline industry around the world in the latter part of the 20th century. Co-chair agreements allow for airlines to place their airline designator and flight number, or code, on a flight operated by another airline. Let's take a look at how this works in practice by looking at WestJet, a Canadian airline that mostly flies throughout North America and the Caribbean. WestJet has co-chair agreements with many international carriers that fly to Canada. Passengers can fly to Canada from Seoul with Korean Air or from Amsterdam with KLM for example, and then connect onto domestic flights within Canada on WestJet. The domestic flights are operated by WestJet, but also carry Korean Air or KLM flight numbers. This is why a single flight can have multiple flight numbers. You may have seen on an airport's website or a departures or arrival screen where the airline and flight number for a flight rotates between a few different airlines. Or, at some airports, they'll list the different numbers as different flights, and you'll see something like three flights going to the same place at the same time from the same gate, and in reality, it's all the same flight. That's what co-chairing looks like in practice. Now, let me take a moment to talk quickly about why airlines get into these types of agreements. What I'm about to say applies to both co-chairing and interlining, as well as the next two types of partnerships that I'm going to cover. The main reason is to increase their business by giving their customers access to more flights. An airline only has enough planes and staff to fly to a certain number of destinations. But with these types of agreements, they can offer itineraries covering a much larger number of destinations. For example, 
Air New Zealand only flies to five or six cities in the United States. However, with their co-chair, interline, and alliance partners, you can book flights to and from around 48 different airports in the United States with Air New Zealand. Looking at our example with Korean Air and WestJet again, Korean Air only flies to the major cities of Toronto and Vancouver in Canada, but with their co-chair agreement with WestJet, passengers can book itineraries between Seoul and South Korea and smaller Canadian cities like Edmonton, Winnipeg, and Halifax. Airline alliances are the next form of partnership, and these are intended to create benefits through large-scale cooperation between multiple airlines. Alliances are an even newer concept than co-chairing, with the first major airline alliance being formed in 1997. That year, Air Canada, Lufthansa, Scandinavian Airlines, Thai Airways, and United Airlines came together to form Star Alliance. In the following years, competing airlines came together to form the world's two other major alliances, which are OneWorld and SkyTeam. I did an entire main segment on alliances in episode 7, so go check that out if you haven't done so already. While it isn't a requirement, there is generally a lot of co-chairing between airlines within the same alliance, and that allows for passengers to have more travel options. With airline alliances, groups of airlines also agree to provide consistent benefits and services across the airline, like priority boarding and lounge access. This is particularly valuable for travelers with status in a frequent flyer program as it lets them receive perks across an airline network. Generally speaking, if you're a member of a frequent flyer program and the airline is in an alliance, you can also collect miles on flights that you take with other alliance members and redeem your points on other alliance members. So for example, let's say you're a member of Avios, which is British Airways' frequent flyer program. British Airways is a member of the One World Alliance, so you can redeem points and spend them on One World member airlines. If you are flying on Japan Airlines between Japan and the United States, you can earn Avios points because Japan Airlines is also a One World member. Similarly, you could redeem your Avios points on Japan Airlines flights. If you haven't listened to it already, take a listen to episode 7 of Flying Smarter, as the main segment there is all about airline alliances. In it, I explore how they work and why they exist, before talking about what the benefits for travelers are. I wrap it all up by covering the different alliances and looking at how you can figure out which alliance is best for you. A joint venture is perhaps the closest level of cooperation between airlines, and it's a large-scale business partnership. Joint ventures generally consist of coordination when it comes to pricing and schedules, as well as some sort of revenue-sharing agreement. Airlines that are in joint ventures together may also coordinate their cargo operations and can also conduct joint marketing, advertising, and joint procurement of things like fuel or catering. Joint ventures often cover a specific geographical market. For example, American Airlines has a Trans-Pacific joint venture with Japan Airlines. There is also a transatlantic joint venture between Star Alliance partners United Airlines, Air Canada, Lufthansa, Austrian Airlines, Swiss, and Brussels Airlines. From a passenger perspective, joint ventures are beneficial because airlines cooperate to provide flight options and a more seamless travel experience. However, schedule and price coordination can also create drawbacks for travelers due to the reduction in competition, which can lead to higher prices. For this reason, 
joint ventures are generally subject to extensive government review due to competition, consumer protection, and antitrust concerns. So, how can you tell if your itinerary includes interline or co-chair flights? If you have a flight that is not operated by the airline that sold you the ticket, your itinerary will say something to the effect of, operated by, insert airline name here. This is a good sign that your flight is a co-chair flight or an interline flight, but not necessarily, as we'll cover later when I talk about regional airlines. It's also possible to tell whether a given flight is part of a co-chair or interline agreement. Let's take a look at an example. At around the time of publication of this episode in late 2022, a search on Irish airline Aer Lingus for flights from Dublin to Atlanta show a variety of different options. Firstly, you could fly from Dublin to Boston with Aer Lingus and then connect onto a JetBlue flight to Atlanta. Both of these flights carry Aer Lingus flight numbers, even though the second flight is operated by JetBlue. That means that there's a code share agreement in play, as Aer Lingus is placing its code or flight number on the JetBlue flight. Alternatively, you could take a flight from Dublin to either Newark or Washington DC with Aer Lingus and then connect onto a United Airlines flight. The first flights are both operated by Aer Lingus and have Aer Lingus flight numbers, but the United flights have United flight numbers. This means that this itinerary would probably fall under an interline agreement, as the second flight doesn't carry an Aer Lingus flight number. Or, another option when you're booking with Aer Lingus would be to take two flights operated by British Airways under a co-chair agreement and connect in London Heathrow. Looking at the options, it seems that Aer Lingus actually has both co-chair and interline agreements with both JetBlue and United, but I don't want to overcomplicate things. A simple general rule of thumb is that if a flight is using the flight number of the airline that is actually operating the flight, then it's an interline flight. On the other hand, if a flight has a flight number of a different airline, then there's co-chairing going on. The fifth type of airline partnership that I want to discuss sort of sits in its own category because it's different from the others that I've already discussed and mostly only exists in North America. The large mainline airlines in North America subcontract regional airlines to fly smaller aircraft. When you see brands like Delta Connection, American Eagle, United Express, and Air Canada Express, these flights are not operated by Delta, American, United, and Air Canada. They are actually operated by completely separate airlines with their own hiring processes, their own maintenance programs, their own management, and their own pay structures. Many people think that they are actually flying on the large mainline airlines aircraft when they fly on one of these subcontracted flights, but that's simply not true. And these regional airlines aren't small players either. According to the Regional Airline Association, 43% of all scheduled passenger flights in the United States were operated by regional airlines. SkyWest Airlines is the fifth largest airline in North America by fleet size, ahead of Alaska Airlines, Air Canada, and JetBlue. But you may never even have heard of it, because it doesn't really operate any flights under its own brand. Instead, SkyWest operates under contract as Alaska SkyWest, Delta Connection, United Express, and American Eagle. Why do North American airlines contract out these flights? It mostly comes down to money. Using regional airlines is very cost-effective for the major airlines. 
they essentially contract out the operation of small aircraft to these regional airlines, which pay their employees quite a bit less than the mainline airlines do. The market is also usually in favor of the mainline airlines when it comes to contracts. There are lots of regional airlines out there who are looking for these contracts with the big airlines, but there's only a few of these major mainline airlines. As such, you'll sometimes see regional airlines switching which airlines that they operate as or going out of business altogether when their contracts aren't renewed. For example, shortly before the publication of this episode in August 2022, Air Wisconsin, a regional airline in the United States, announced that it would be switching from operating exclusively as United Express under United to operating exclusively as American Eagle under American. I should also note though that there are some regional airlines in the US like Cape Air or Silver Airways that operate flights under their own brand rather than going with the contracting business model. How can you tell if you're on a regional airline? Again, when you book, look under the flight information to see if there's a small text that tells you that your flight is operated by someone else. You may see something like, operated by GoJet Airlines DBA United Express, in which DBA means doing business as, or something like operated by SkyWest as American Eagle. I now want to get into what these different types of partnerships mean for passengers. Overall, there are a lot of benefits for travelers. Interline agreements, coach sharing, and airline alliances all give airlines the ability to offer more routes, more itineraries, and more destinations to their passengers. For frequent flyers with airline status, Partnerships between airlines allow for status and perks to be recognized and available when flying with different airlines. But the existence of these different types of airline agreements also means that there are some important things for travelers to keep in mind. I'll go over these now, but I just want to clear up the terminology that I'm going to use. I'll use the term marketing airline to refer to the airline that the passenger buys the ticket from and the operating airline as the one that is actually operating the flight. If your flight is not operated by the marketing airline, information provided by the marketing airline about their services may not apply. For example, if you book a flight through Lufthansa that is operated by United Airlines, what Lufthansa says about its seats, its in-flight entertainment, or its food options won't apply because you're actually going to be flying with United Airlines. Similarly, be aware of what baggage policies apply. Usually, you'll be bound by the operating airlines' baggage policies, but this gets more complicated when there are multiple operating airlines on your itinerary. Make sure you look at what's printed on your ticket and do your research ahead of time if you're not sure. When you book a co-chair or an interline flight, you may not be able to manage all parts of your trip through the marketing airline. For example, you may not be able to select your seat with the marketing airline. Generally, though, you can go through the operating airline to do this, but you may have to use a different booking confirmation number that the marketing airline would have to give you. If your flight is cancelled or delayed when you're at the airport, it's generally up to the operating airline to rebook you and provide any compensation and accommodations that you're entitled to. This makes sense, because the operating airline are the ones who are actually dealing with the delay or the cancellation. Meanwhile, if you're dealing with a change before your trip has started though, you would usually deal with the marketing airline as they're the ones who sold you the ticket. When it comes to earning and redeeming points and miles, 
the more basic interline agreements often won't allow passengers to earn miles. With code sharing and airline alliances though, passengers generally have the ability to earn or redeem miles. Like I've discussed before, airline alliances are particularly advantageous for frequent flyers due to the standardized perks, recognition of status, and the ability to earn and redeem points and miles across the alliance. One thing to note is that everything I've said in this section about who you deal with when flights are delayed or cancelled, whose baggage policies apply, etc. doesn't apply to the North American regional airlines. When you fly with a regional airline that is operating for a mainline carrier in North America, you deal with the mainline airline exclusively. For example, if you're on a Delta connection flight operated by Endeavor Air, you'll deal with Delta. You won't find an Endeavor Air baggage policy or refund policy because with these regional airline contracts, all the airline does is operate the flight itself. The mainline airline, in this case Delta, does everything else. This is why many people won't even know that the plane in our example isn't owned by Delta and that the crew aren't employed by Delta. At the end of the day, it's important to know who is actually operating your flight. Always look to see if that there is a line under the flight that you're considering booking that says operated by, insert airline name here. If your North American flight is being operated by a regional airline, that doesn't have a major impact, but with code share and interline agreements, it's important to know who you'll actually be flying with and what that means for you. That brings us to the end of this episode of Flying Smarter. For our next episode, we'll have a guest on which I'm quite excited for. Be sure to follow or subscribe to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice so that you get new episodes right when they're published. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon.